every day you're going to have the ups and you're going to have the downs. But I always say, look at your happiness on a quarterly basis. Take it in a three month perspective. Was this a good or a bad order? Why? What made it that way? What should be different? Because I think that we expect so much from ourselves on a daily basis when change really happens over the longer term. So I'm very big on making sure that you are checking in with yourself, obviously, but doing so at such a point that you can actually have some perspective. And I think that treating yourself as your own client is very much about that. It's not about the day second to second happiness. It's how can I do myself better next quarter? You're listening to Chats with Kat, where I catch up with my fellow millennials every week to share their journey of self-actualization, overcoming fear, and paving the way for a soul's purpose to shine through. Let's start that right here, right now. Hey fam, happy Tuesday. I hope you are all doing fantastic. I'm doing really well. I'm in a really good mood. Goddess Council hosted a beautiful meetup this past weekend that I'm still feeling extremely recharged by. It was actually hosted by one of our beautiful co-founders in Brooklyn, and we munched out and met some amazing new women and wrote love letters to our future selves. It was beautiful. It was like everything that I needed. It was actually half hosted at our co-founder's apartment and then half at Prospect Park. So we managed to soak in Mother Nature in the best way possible. I'm really excited by what we're building and have going on. The pace of which all of this is growing truly catches me off guard a lot of times because it's just been such an organic process, but I'm realizing that people can sense the authenticity and want to help us grow. And that makes me feel really supported and looked out for by the universe because seriously, we've had Certain people reach out to us already that want to help and I know that they have really important clients to manage and you know they have their own lives and yet they see something in us that's worthwhile and they want to commit to helping us grow which is just wild and this whole process with Goddess Council and this podcast has created space for me to finally feel like I can surrender to the possibilities of life you know and I just have to show up show the universe, show God that I'm willing to put in the work and everything else falls into place in ways that I couldn't have imagined. And on that note, I want to give a shout out to Lil Mitrop who left a review on the Apple podcast app that says, I'm really feeling like I found this podcast at the perfect moment in my life. Kat's thoughtful interviews ask all the right questions. What advice would you give to someone in this specific situation as a favorite? And provide deep, insightful conversations that are both genuine and vulnerable. Her guests speak with trust and respect for her and her audience, and what results is authentic advice that millennials are so craving to hear. As a New Yorker living in LA, where I spend half my time driving, Kat brings the mindset of New York and makes those drives not only bearable, but energizing and exciting, and has me scribbling notes throughout. I love, love, love this podcast and cannot wait to hear more. Thank you so much for that amazing review. That made me really happy to read. And I truly appreciate you. I'm really happy that 
these episodes make your drive in LA bearable because I've heard the traffic in LA is wild. If you haven't yet left a review for the show, go ahead and do it now for a chance to be shouted out next week. I'm about 26 ratings away from finally reaching 100 reviews and I'd really, really, really love to meet that goal by the end of November. So if you could just do me the favor, I would greatly appreciate that. Now, on to today's guest, who I'm really excited for you all to meet. Today's guest is Kelly Schweitzer, founder of CSCH, a creative strategy and consulting firm that helps businesses and individuals increase reach, relevance, and revenue. She is a highly, highly, highly creative and strategic leader in media and tech. She most recently served as the chief content officer at Thrive Global, Ariana Huffington's health and well-being company, and has held leadership positions at Time Inc., Time, Vox Media, and Talking Points Memo. At Time, she founded and launched a women's-focused brand called Motto, and she is an award-winning journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, People, Time, and the Huffington Post. She's been named twice to Forbes 30 Under 30 list, Business Insider's 30 Most Important Women in Tech Under 30, and has garnered recognition by many other organizations. We chatted about the future of content creation, building authentic networks, creating a healthy balance with the media we consume, treating ourselves like our own clients, and so much more. I'm not going to lie, I was pretty nervous for this interview, but Callie was really kind and exposed me to some great ways of thinking that I know will absolutely help you all. I cannot wait to hear what you all think. Without any further delay, here's my chat with Callie. Hi, Callie. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down to chat with me. Thanks, Kat. I'm so honored to be here. You've talked to so many incredible women. Well, I mean, I just feel honored to finally add you to the list. This has been a few months in the making already. You were pretty busy a while back when I reached out to you, and then finally we were able to get this done. So I'm really thrilled to finally get to know you better because... I've researched and prepared and I'm just like in awe of everything that you're doing and I just want to know how you have been able to pull all of this off. I'm excited to dive in. Yes, let's do it. So first things first, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Westchester County, just outside the city in a town called Larchmont. Um, Not too notable, about 45 minutes away from New York City. So we'd come in for Broadway shows. People would always ask me, oh, so you really know your way around the city? And I'd be like, oh, no. No, no. I, I, I have no credibility when it comes to being a New Yorker. I would just drive in, see a show or go to dinner and then drive out. <laughs> <laughs> so did you always know that you actually wanted to live in the city, though? Was there something about it that was appealing? Well, it's funny. I didn't because I actually went to college in California. I went to USC, the, the Annenberg School for Journalism and Communication, and... Funnily enough, I told my parents that they should move to L.A. because I was going to stay there. And then I moved here. Uh, So the good news is I have a sister in L.A., a sister in New York, and I'm in New York. So my parents are Mm bi-coastal and very happy about it from the grandparent perspective. Yes. Do they spend their winters over there? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's about that time, right? It's total dream. Yes, that's goals. (laughs) Totally. If you were to ask them right now how they would have described you as a kid, what do you think that they would say? They would have said two things. One is that when I was being carried, you know those baby Bjorns? Yeah. uh, Where, like, the baby is, like, facing the mom? I 
refused to face the mom, my mom, I had to face out and see the world. And it reminds me of how, like, when I go to the wing, I always want to sit in a certain place so I can see what's happening. It's just the journalist in me. It's that idea that I always want to be seeing the action, seeing what's coming, seeing who's there. Uh, So I've definitely always had that uh, extrovert gene. Mm. Uh, But the other thing I would say is that uh, I earned the nickname Sherlock Schweitzer when I was in elementary school because of my ability to crack cold cases in the classroom. Uh, yes, I know. There was a missing <laughs> pen once. I mean, it was it was heroic work. Uh, but it's that for me is like those are two total examples of it's why I do what I do now. For Sherlock Schweitzer, I've always said I was a fixer before Olivia Pope hit television. (laughs) This idea that I want to fix problems, I want to find things, I want to solve the hardest questions in the world. So those two things are pretty much what stand out to me, and I think my parents would say the same. Well, that's really interesting because, I mean, in life, and most people are just like, Oh, I just want the answers, I, but they don't really want to do the hard work. And it's just really funny to think that there are people who are like, hey, no, I'm the person that actually wants to do this. Like, leave it to me, guys. I got it. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I've just always been incredibly curious. I consider myself an insatiable consumer of content. So um, I think one of the things we're going to talk about today is just how much content there is out there in the world. And it's, it can be really, really challenging to manage. And I am a recovering uh, content addict, I would say. Uh, I am, uh, I'm really trying to figure out, you know, how do you maintain this balance when there is so much coming at you, a push alert, a tweet, a text from a friend, an Instagram DM, uh, an email, how can you stay sane in that kind of a news environment? So I've been working very hard on that. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions or any tips that have helped? I do. Um, One of the things that I used to say was that on a day where it was just information overload, I felt like I had cloudy brain. And what I mean by cloudy brain is like, there's a lot of stuff in there, but you don't exactly know what or how to make it useful. So for me, it actually really came with actively changing my consumption habits. So I, believe it or not, was subscribed to 50 daily newsletters at one point in my recent life. (laughs) And I know this is so bad. And all they would do is come into my inbox and make me feel bad that I hadn't read them. I would occasionally go back to one from three weeks ago and feel like I was catching up. But all they did was make me feel like I was behind instead of ever feeling like I was on top of stuff. I mean, it's funny when we were talking about um, how we both like to prepare for things. I, I think a lot about how so much of our lives is spent thinking that we are living under just this tremendous mountain and that you can never climb it. You'll never reach the top because there's always more email. There's always more texts. Everything's always incoming. So I was really conscious about changing my habits. First things first, all social media for me is no notifications. All 
in a separate folder on page two, I frequently change up my where my apps are on my home screen and on my second page uh, because of what a guy named Tristan Harris taught me. Uh, he was the former Google design ethicist who's been out there talking about uh, aligning technology with humanity and how to change the attention economy. And one of the things that I think a lot about is how my thumb knows exactly where to go for email. My thumb knows exactly where to go for text. My yeah. thumb knows exactly where to go for Instagram. So I change it up every so often. And I, I really love doing that. And I also conducted an experiment where I wrote down all the names of every single daily newsletter that I was getting and I unsubscribed from all of them, took some major time off from them, and then decided there were only two that I really wanted to resubscribe to. Yeah. And it was such an incredible moment to realize that I was just going to miss stuff and I just had to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And we put so much pressure on ourselves to be everything and know everything and be everywhere. So I definitely value that. Um, I keep my phone outside my bedroom, which is like a huge life hack for me. That is absolutely game changing. Uh, and I really just try to be present. So I am never someone with their phone on the table during a meal, anything like that. I mean, the science is clear that your phone can distract you, even if it's just sitting next to you, even if it's off. So I am very focused on bringing more of that intention to the now. Yeah, that's so important. And you know, it's, it's really interesting, because I think that a lot of a lot of people, a lot of millennials in particular, I feel like are really struggling with this, especially the content creators and the people who are trying to stay on top of what's happening so that they know what the next story is or what it is that people are looking for at that very moment so that they can write the story. They just don't know how to separate in real life connection and then being digitally connected where they feel like they have to do that because if they don't do that, then they can't do their job. And it's obviously a problem. It doesn't feel good because we know that we're too connected, but we don't know what to do. Everybody's just like, I don't know. I just know that something's got to change and I have no solutions. So that's really interesting that, you know, like that's just one thing at the very least to just like switch it around a little so that you know that there's moments where you're going to your phone. You're not really checking anything for any particular reason. You're just doing it because it's just like, you know, at this point a habit. But I'm really curious to know what your thoughts are for people who are trying to balance their work and what they create with, you know, being connected to the outside world and trying to find that boundary where just like, all right, nothing can happen in an hour at least, you know, like I got to carve out this hour, this half hour just for me. It's such a challenge, especially because all of this comes in on one device. So your work email is mixed with your personal email, is mixed with your company social media account, is mixed with your personal social media account. So there's no physical divider. Um, something I've found really effective on weekends is turning off email for work accounts or something, just going through periods of time where you just say Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. 12 hours, whatever it is, whatever your job can allow you to really fluctuate between. Yeah. Um, I know our, the demands of our everyday lives don't permit that oftentimes, but giving yourself that permission on the weekends, I think is so, so huge. And I'm also a very big proponent of the idea that as women, we are always the first things to cut ourselves off 
the list. So when something else gets added, we are always ditching our quality time with ourselves. One of the most important things somebody said to me when I was starting my business was never forget that you are also your own client. And I think even if you are not an entrepreneur or working with clients, you always have to remember yourself in the equation because that is the core of everything. That is how you make better decisions, smarter decisions, how you add more value to people's lives. And I think so often we forget that. And obviously as women, we put ourselves last. And I think that there is such an important reminder that your business value is actually exponentially higher when you remember that you are also your client. You're an important part of your day, your week, your month, and your year. The other thing that I would say is I'm very big on the idea of quarterly happiness pulses. So when you look on Instagram, you see that like somehow everyone is having a carnival at work and you're sitting in a cubicle. And that is terrible. It looks, it looks like you are truly living the worst life and everyone else is living the best life. And if you take your happiness pulse every single day, you will be a human EKG. Mm. You know, the, that thing that doctors use for the heart rate, whatever you've seen it in Grey's Anatomy, surely. Mm. Um, and I think about that because every day you're going to have the ups and you're going to have the downs. But I always say, look at your happiness on a quarterly basis. Take it in a three-month perspective. Was this a good or a bad quarter? Why? What made it that way? What should be different? Because I think that we expect so much from ourselves on a daily basis when change really happens over the longer term. So I'm very big on making sure that you are checking in with yourself, obviously, but doing so at such a point that you can actually have some perspective. And I think that treating yourself as your own client is very much about that. It's not about the day second to second happiness. It's how can I do myself better next quarter? Yeah, that's so important. That's, that's the best advice that I think anybody that is starting a business or anybody who's trying to jump onto their own personal endeavors should remember because we'll get so wrapped up in, you know, like, well, if I don't respond to them there, are they going to renew our contract? It's like, well, you cannot be a quality, you can't even run a quality business if like the one person who's like managing everything, aka you, the owner, the person behind everything is just like, doesn't take that afternoon off or like, you know, goes and meets up with a friend or something like that's all really important as well. And it's so interesting because we always think of those things as indulgences. Like uh, one of the things I love about working for myself is that I wake up and I might work from seven to nine in the morning and just like bang out a bunch of stuff and then go take a shower. And Mm -hmm. I love that flexibility because that to me is actually how I work differently. That's the way in which I say I'm my most important client. It doesn't matter if I'm working at uh, 6 a.m. or if I'm working at 9 p.m. It's it's up to me from that perspective. And I think that making sure you're really in touch with the ways in which you do your best. Mm-hmm. If it's something where like you need to go to that weekly yoga class or school seminar or church service, you go because you know that it's actually what's making you better for your clients. It's making you sharper. It's enriching your life, expanding your world, and ultimately making you 
a fuller person, which will always be something that's more valuable to people. Yeah, that's so true. Do you find that you became more aware of how you functioned better once you started working on your own? Or was that something that you were attuned to while you were working for large organizations? It's a great question. I never really thought about working differently. I have always been someone who loves to be the first person to respond on an email, though I'm getting much better on that. Um, And I think that there is a real a real way of working that just exists in today's world. There's that traditional, you know, everybody says nine to five, but we all know it's not till five. Um, And there's that sense of you go to an office, you do this. And what I'm so heartened to see is that there is so much traction around working differently. Places like WeWork, places like The Wing, places like Noya House, things where people are saying, or four day work weeks uh, where somebody works from home on the fifth day. I think that that, kind of flexibility, those strategic accommodations, as someone I know who uh, is passionate about this says, I think those kinds of things are so important. And the more we can highlight those examples and normalize them, the better. I agree. At the end of the day, like, we're people, we're people, we need, we need to have, you know, a change in our weeks. We, we, We don't like monotony. Like that is what makes us go crazy. And I think that, I think that, you know, companies are finally starting to catch on that the cubicle is not really fun. Like people want to walk around, people want to, you know, diffuse for a second. We can't just sit in front of a computer all day and expect to just be on top of our game. At the end of the day, we are people, we're not robots. So that's so important that, um, that you highlight that. And I think that the companies who don't catch on to that and realize that that is what people know they want now, like, oh, that's an option. People are doing this. I want that. I want to work at a place that does that. If you as a company don't adapt to that and like change up the way that the office and the environment is structured, then people are just going to be like, okay, I'm just going to go somewhere that makes me feel like I can be myself and I can be a person and I can take a day during the week where I'm working from home. I'm in my pajamas, but I'm still just as productive. Like, you know, I have the laundry running, but I can still respond to that email, you know, like, yeah. that, I think that's just so important. And I've always believed it's not about where the work gets done. It's just that it gets done. So I think the workforce is moving that way. But, you know, we'll see over these next 10, 20 years. Yeah, I really don't think they have much of an option at this point. Like, I I, I sit at the wing sometimes. Well, obviously, like, we're both members. But I sit there and I overhear people who come in for the first time and they're like, I'm going to send this to my boss. I really think that they should pay for my membership. I should be able to work here one day a week. And I'm like, hey, you know what? It doesn't really cost them that much to, you know, when you think about it, like, well, my employee gets one day a week where they get to work out of a beautiful space and they're going to have some time to diffuse and look at it like a really beautiful, you know, bookshelf or whatever. And like, maybe that'll get their ideas running or their creative mind going in some way. Like, that's really not that much of an investment when you think about how that'll impact your employee. Well, and from the company's perspective, it's an investment in the employee's engagement and in their retention. Yes, exactly. When you put it that way, it's just like, okay, do you want to, you know, decrease turnover? Do you want to make sure that your top employee is staying here? Exactly. Just pay the membership. (laughs) Not that much. So I just want to finally get into like the cool, cool things you've been able to do in such a short time. I mean... By the age of 24, Forbes called you one of New York City's best networked youngsters. (laughs) Like, 
That is crazy. How did you manage to make that happen? Like, were there any tactics that you implemented as a way to expand your network at such a young age? So it's such a good question because I feel like networking is a dirty word. It's just like something people say and they just instantly wince. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have never really thought of it as networking. I've always thought of it as making genuine connections. Mm -hmm. So I told you the story about the baby Bjorn and needing to face out. Like I've always been someone who's incredibly curious Mm -hmm. about other people. I'm a journalist at heart my job is to talk to people. So I've always been the person who sees someone across the room and says, Oh, I I read that you're doing X, Y, Z project. Can you tell me more about that? And and by the way, I, I look at people on LinkedIn and immediately add them when I look at them because, and I send them a message saying, I know you're going to see that I looked at you. So I just wanted to say, I'm going to add you because (laughs) think about it, right? You get those notifications where it's like these 10 people are looking at you and then it's, it's like weird. So why not be my connection? But anyway, that's not a real networking tool. Um, but for me, it's just always about authenticity. It's just this idea, uh, early in my career, I got a lot of positive feedback around my Twitter feed and the idea that I was very authentic. And I think it never occurred to me to be two people. It never occurred to me to be a professional person and a Mm -hmm. personal person. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting being one person. How can we be two? And so I always felt like, of course, internet me should reflect real me. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something that I guess I was early in recognizing that people would value. Mm -hmm. I think people have such a, a weird understanding of what that means and they get really in their heads because they just want to be liked and they want to seem like they know what they're talking about or that they're interesting. And I don't really think it ever crosses our minds to just be, you know, like we all have interesting opinions about something. And if you lead with that, that's enough, right? Yeah, it's so true. And I also think we have to lower the stakes. If you go to a networking, quote unquote, networking event and you meet two people awesome. Mm -hmm. You did a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. We, we have this image in our mind, like you said, that we need to leave with 50 business cards and 50 job opportunities. That is absolutely going to be 50 meaningless connections. So true. But if you make two meaningful connections, it's so much more powerful. So I would say that one of the big things I always say when I'm talking to um, people about their career is just take all that pressure off. Mm -hmm. Go to an event to connect with someone who you think is interesting. And it's not about how they are directly relevant to your life and can help you now or how you can help them now. It's Mm -hmm. like lives are long, careers are long. Millennials are having what, like six careers before they're 30? (laughs) Um, So something crazy. Not, Not actually that. But I think there's so much to this idea of we are no longer in boxes. We no longer live as you're someone who works in finance or someone who works in tech. All of these fields are merging. Mm -hmm. So you should know something about everything. And I really, I really try to stress that because I think it's, we're very hard on ourselves. Yeah. That's, you know, that's really important because like you said, everybody's just like walks into a room and they're like, okay there are these people in this room and they do this thing and like, I want to do this. So how could I possibly talk to this person? Maybe they can get me a job here. And it's like, well, that's not really it. Like, what if you end up talking to somebody who you don't even know? 
but you actually end up talking to them about like life, about how they're doing, how they're feeling, how like, I don't know. And you end up just becoming a friend or like an acquaintance and somehow, some way, they know somebody down the line that knows somebody that gets you a job and they're so much more likely to vouch for you because they remember how you made them feel when they met you. Like you weren't trying to climb a social ladder, you were just truly interested in who they were and how they're doing. And I'm curious to know if you think that that has been what has really helped you along the way because you've been able to work at some amazing organizations and publications over time and I, I wonder how you've been able to to get into those you know spaces and have such important roles in there and I, I'm thinking in my head like there's no way that you wouldn't have been able to get in there if people didn't feel like you were the person that belonged there because they had to have had like a real genuine connection with you at some point down the line. Yeah. So it's funny. I, I like to say I've never had a job that existed before Mm -hmm. in that I've never looked at LinkedIn and said, Hey, I want to apply for this job. I've always just met people and found brands that I've loved and thought, oh, here's an interesting thing that I could help you with. Mm -hmm. For me, it's much more about solving the problems of the organization uh, rather than fitting the job criteria. And of course, there's that Google study that shows that women have to have five out of five job criteria to believe that they should apply for a job. I mean, I I don't think about careers that way. I've always been someone who has an entrepreneurial role, even, even in, in a corporate company. So for me, it's that idea of where can I go and have an impact and learn from really smart people and care about the work that I'm doing. That has sort of always been my guiding principle. And so when I meet people and we're discussing a brand that, that we love, I, I want to connect with them specifically about what their challenges are and how we can push them into the future and solve them yeah I don't think that a lot of people feel like they can do that I think oftentimes you know we have this this dream right like oh it would be so cool if I could do this but there's no job listed so we think that it doesn't exist it can't exist if it was supposed to exist it would have been there by now and then we let it go and then we settle for things that are like maybe okay but we know that it would be so much more fulfilling if we could just add this and that and if we could just make it our own so how do you do that how do you propose that like you approach x company that's huge and has a ton of employees but you really you really really like and you believe in what they're doing but the youth I don't know I think a lot of people are just like well why would they accommodate me like what makes me so special yes and I want every single listener of this podcast to never ask themselves that question again uh so Here's what I always tell people when I work with people one-on-one and they ask me for uh, they're interested in finding jobs. I say, okay, great. Make a list of your favorite brands in the world. The companies that you would be so excited to work at because you would bring ideas that as a consumer, a fan, a subscriber, a user, you forget. And we forget that as digital natives, 
we have so much to add. Yeah. When, whenever I talk to college students, I talk a lot about this. They know what's coming next. That's a huge value add to millennials yeah. in the workplace. Yeah. Gen Zers can add so much value the second they get out of college. Yeah. And so we really underestimate our own value. And we really do that in for uh, for things like this where – I love this brand, but why would they hire me? We can't think that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Instead, I create that list and I also ask them, what are the brands that you use every single day that you couldn't live without? Because there might be a brand that you love, but maybe you don't use the product. But then there's a brand where you use that product every single day. And if you did not have that moisturizer or that conditioner or that eyeliner or whatever it is, and it doesn't just have to be beauty, it can be anything. If you didn't have that, your day would be less successful. Mm -hmm. Those are the people you are. Brands are looking for evangelists and ambassadors. That is what the employee of 2018 and beyond will look like. It's bringing your unique insight and saying, this is how I use it. And other people use it like me. Mm -hmm. We, We have to move away from this mentality that the audience is one group. No, the audience is made up of singular individuals who do things differently. And that's how brands are starting to communicate with, Mm. with individuals. And people want that people want that level of personalization. So I would say it is a, it is certainly not an overnight process. It's not going in and meeting with HR for a specific role with a specific description. I have made up most of my job descriptions Mm. and I think that's cool and fun. I'm someone who really likes that. For some people that might be like, that sounds like the worst thing ever. Okay, awesome. One of the things I think a lot about is this idea that I I have been passionate about journalism and content since I was very young. Mm -hmm. People ask me, oh, how do I find my passion? And I always say, finding your passion is about finding what you hate first. Mm. And the reason that I think that that is so important is that finding your passion, it's like saying like, am I happy? Is there enough? It's this amorphous thing that will always change. And it has this huge weight to it that somehow makes it something that we decide we could never really understand or decide on or really contemplate. And so I always say, if you have an internship and you hate it, congratulations. You just learned you don't want to do that. Yeah. You always pick up these things. I mean, oftentimes people say they learn more from the bosses they hated than the bosses that they loved. You learn from just the way that you interact with people every single day. You learn how you like to be treated Mm -hmm. and how you do not. And that changes how you are as a person and how you show up. And I think about this a lot because so often it's it's actually about the process of elimination. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of saying to yourself, I must have this one passion that is my one and only thing and I must do it for my career. No, it, it can be several areas. It can be general um, things you really like to do and, and are interested in. I would say we have to be much more flexible in how we think about uh, what passion is and how we pursue it in the workforce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so helpful. That is so, so helpful. I really wish I would have heard that when I graduated from college because I was just like, okay, I'm out of school. 
what is my passion? Ah! I felt so confused. I felt so much pressure. And, you know, like, now I'm doing something completely different because I just didn't let myself naturally evolve and follow my interests. I was like, I have to be rigid. I have to go here. And then I still ended up doing the thing my, my soul always wanted to do anyway. You know? Look, here's what I'll tell you. I am a huge believer in the idea that there's no such thing as wasted time. Mm. I really feel strongly about that because people will say, oh, I shouldn't have taken that job or oh, I shouldn't have dated that guy or oh, you know, all of those kinds of regrets. And I am just like, why you look, look at what you learned, look at where you got to today. Like Kat, you would not be the podcast host an interviewer that you are if you were doing this at 22 years old. You wouldn't have the insight, the experience, the worldview. You're doing it at a completely different stage in your life when you can probably add much more value to a much wider group of people because of the fact that you've lived a little. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I guess I've never looked at it like that because it's always just like, if I had those years, I would have had an advantage, but it's actually not true because the advantage is in the living and, you know, the ups and the downs and the wisdoms that you learn along the way. Hmm. Exactly. Just reframe that as we're speaking. That was good. (laughs) Um, So another cool thing that just casually happened in your life is that um, by the time you were 28, Ariana Huffington recruited you to be the chief content officer at Thrive Global, which is a new company that she was launching at the time. And, you know, by that time you had already worked at a number of high level companies as well. And obviously that's such a big deal. You know, most 28 year olds are really lost and, you know, that everybody is on their own timeline and everything like that. But, you know, what was going on through your mind at that time? Like, were you nervous? Did you think that that was something that could ever happen to you? You know, how were your friends taking it? Was it just like something that was just unimaginable? I I don't know. Like I'm trying to picture myself in your shoes at 28 and I'm just like, that is just a whole other world. That's like the wild, wild west and in the best way. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, one of the things I'm excited to talk to you about is this idea that one of the biggest life changes I have made is stepping back and really appreciating the moment. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I was excited. I was nervous as we always should be. Can I do the job I've just been hired to do? Can I impress the person I've just been hired by? Um, But to me, it was just such an exciting challenge. When I was at Time Inc., I had launched a site called Motto out of time. And it was really based on this idea that women needed to redefine success. And I just, I felt so strongly that we needed more people talking about that. So when I met Ariana and heard her vision for really this connection between well-being and performance and how we can change what success means... I felt like this was a movement that I really needed to be part of. It was something that was in my blood. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's, I never take that moment and step back and say, wow, I'm the coolest. Like, I know we always think about that on the outside. (laughs) Like, wow, that person must think they're so awesome. It's like, actually, that person thinks they should have made their bed this morning. Their laundry's sitting in a pile. Like, uh, it's so classic. And I think that for me, 
it was just an opportunity to build. And that's exactly what I've done throughout my whole career, whether it was at an old company or a new company, it was always been about building things. Mm -hmm. So has that really, I think that right now because of social media and because we're, we can see what other people are doing all the time. It's like, we want to jump ahead because it's like, well, no, I, I want to be able to work at that place. And I want people to think that I know what I'm doing, that I'm successful. And it's obviously all of this is very unconscious. It's not something that we're consciously like going through the world thinking, but I get, a, I get the feeling that all along you were just really excited to be doing the thing that you were doing at that very moment. And you did a really good job at it because you actually were interested and you were curious and you wanted to do the re- very best at the moment. And the thing about that is that people can tell when you're excited and people can tell when you're passionate and they'll tell other people, this, this woman is doing such a good job and look at what she's able to do here. But, you know, I think that all along you were just following your own curiosity. It wasn't really to, to, for other people. It was for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that from what I see a lot of times, the anxiety that comes about for a lot of people is that they're so worried about what they look like to others and they, they forget that they're living life for them first and foremost. And I think that you're a great example at what happens when you just follow your interest. And when you just, you know, when you have that insatiable desire to figure out a solution or, you know, to just find out why that person did that thing, it it really does, you know, start to pave a way for you naturally. And I'm really curious to know what advice you would have for people who want to do that, who really do want to follow their own interests, but don't really think that that's the way that they're ever going to, you know, be able to pay the bills or something like why, you know, like I I think that people often feel like what their curiosities and the things that they love are never going to be able to make them a living. And you are a prime example that that's not true. Yeah. And, and I think it's such a good point, but what I would say is Whenever we think about that, we always think that you would go from your corporate America job on a Friday to just doing your own thing on a Monday. And that's not how it happens. If you're cultivating this interest or this passion, you're likely doing something with it every day. I mean, I think about people with food Instagram accounts who work in finance. I mean, there's so much that's happening. And so what I would say is find your thing. And, And this is something we've talked about in the sense of content creators. Pick one platform or pick one thing and learn it, master it, enjoy it, whatever level you want to be. Hold yourself to that because so often people say we need to be everywhere. I don't believe in that. You Mm. need to be everywhere that matters. And that's actually not everywhere. That's Mm. where you want to make your impact or where you feel that your work will resonate the most or the impacts that you have will be most meaningful. Yeah. So if you are working in technology and you want to be a chef, great. Pick up some private clients on the weekends and start testing stuff out on friends. I mean, we always test the waters before we actually take the plunge into these kinds of things. So I would say have faith that your passion can drive you through. And, and of course, don't get me wrong. I recognize that not everyone has the opportunity to, to, to go out on their own entrepreneurship certainly isn't something everyone loves. Um, but I think that we need to give ourselves more permission to think more, to think more broadly about what, what, how, how our passions are, 
how our passions come to life in our everyday lives. There's no reason why you couldn't start a side hustle painting or cooking or anything that that you can think of. And it doesn't have to be a full-on business. That's the other thing. I think a lot of people, I mean, I I almost hate the word side hustle because it's like it implies that it's stressful and and it should be actually something relaxing and something that you care about. Mm -hmm. And I think that people say, oh, well, you know, I could never get paid to do that. Oh, yeah, well, actually, that's not true. You could actually probably get paid. If you want, if you're the person who wants to be a chef, you could probably get paid $50 to make a dinner. Would that pay your rent? No, Mm -hmm. but it's the truth is, and I think this is something that we have to hammer in to millennials and to Gen Z is this idea that we need to start collecting positive evidence for ourselves. And by that, I mean, we tell ourselves I could never get paid for that. Is it true? Mm-hmm. No, it's actually not true. You absolutely could get paid for that. Could you make a live uh, a salary off of it in day one? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I think a lot about is that idea that we so often let that ju- that voice, that inner critic in our head, just start running about. I said the wrong thing. This was stupid. This person hates me. I am going to be fired. I'm going to be homeless. And my life is over. Yeah. And I am a huge fan of collecting positive evidence, uh, really data points that remind you. Okay, you emailed 50 people in a cold email spree and one person got back to you. Instead of seeing that as, oh, 49 people didn't get back to me. I should never do this again. You say, cool, one person got back to me. Mm -hmm. All right, well, that's one person I didn't know. It is reframing. And I think that that is so important in remembering those things. And has that always been your natural inclination to just look at the positive always? Oh, no. Oh no! So you had to you had to undergo that reframing yourself. Definitely, mm. uh, yeah. And don't get me wrong; I have moments all the time uh, still where where I say, "Oh my gosh, I'm nervous. I don't I don't think I can do this or whatever." I mean, I think that's just a human tendency. Yeah. Um, but I really try to. I've been really working hard on this idea of living living in the present and not telling myself stories. And I, and I think I asked myself that those three words, is it true? I mean, you think about how somehow you've gone from someone stepped on your toe to just the worst imaginable thing that could have, I'm going to have a bad day because of this. Yeah. I mean, is it true? Probably not. Yeah. And I think that it's important to stop ourselves in our tracks, but no, I, I have plenty of moments, uh, where I am, uh, doubting myself or anxious or concerned or anything. Yeah. And that's, it's like, it's crazy because, you know, I was looking at like, you know, I was prepping for this interview and I was looking at all the things you've done and I'm just like, she, she has done it all. Like I got, I got nervous. And then I also felt like, wow, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do all of this by the time that I'm 28 or whatever. And I started to, you know, kind of doubt myself and, and I jumped out of it because I was like, that's not what this is about. But, you know, the world could just look at people, look at your accomplishments and just be like, wow, I I can never do that. She's so much better than me or whatever. And I think that a lot of times that's that kind of thinking is what makes us feel we shouldn't even attempt it because why bother? Look at how look at how good all these other people are. How could we ever compete? And I, I just I know that that's 
very limiting and a lot of times we don't try to do it. It's all unconscious. It's things that we tell ourselves that just sit there and we never revisit them. Um, but it's it's just, you know, you you obviously go through your own moments of doubt as well and you're not perfect and you're, you are human. And I think it's so important that we begin to realize that people are not their achievements. Like that's not, you can't base somebody just on what they've been able to accomplish. Yeah, and I want to be totally clear that I am on the other side of this mountain. I spent the last, I, I, I have really spent a lot of time recently thinking about this because I realized um, really earlier this year that I had spent my last 10 years on an achievement treadmill, mm-hmm. that I too had had those moments of as soon as I achieved something, my next thought was how can I outdo that achievement? Mm -hmm. We all move the goalposts, right? Something good happens at work and you think, well, this is just what's expected of me now. And this is true of our larger culture. People are applying to 30 colleges or something like that. Like there is that pressure and you are, you are raised and really Go, go through high school by being told that you are as good as a number. You are as good as your number of extracurriculars. You are as good as your leadership opportunities. You are mm-hmm. as good as this. And I, I have really just found myself on the other side of this, separating out my professional accomplishments from the person that I was uh, or a person that I am. Mm-hmm. I absolutely was guilty of that feeling that I should always be somewhere that I was not. And I certainly, uh, people would say, oh, your life looks amazing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, if these people think my life is amazing, I should, I should also think my life is amazing. Mm -hmm. But I am so huge on this idea that we no longer are taught to connect and look internally and how can we start fostering that in schools at younger ages and especially when we graduate college and we hit the workforce because the comparison game is inevitable Mm -hmm. uh but i believe that this all goes back to this idea of redefining success and just changing what it looks like yeah i agree i think it also starts with people being vulnerable and open about what what's real like you know it's one thing to just to see people online or, like, read what they think or, like, you know, what other people think about them in in articles and, like, you know, write-ups and stuff. But it's another thing to just be like, all right, I have social media. We all have social media. This is where you all want to come and learn about me. Instead of just making a caption about, like, nothing or just being like, oh, like, an emoji. In that moment, like, what, like, what were you actually thinking that moment? Like, talk about what's going, what's really going on. Like, I recently started following Sarah Blakely on Instagram and I love her Instagram because she's so real. She is so real. Like she'll be on her way to a meeting and like she's about to, you know, she can't park her car because she doesn't know how to park cars very well. And she's just like, look, this is what's going on. It's just like, it just really humanizes people. Cause like you could just look at her and be like, oh my God, she invented Spanx and she's just, oh my God, how, how could I ever even talk to that woman? Like she's everything. She, she's, a, she's amazing. And then you, you look at her Instagram, it's like, oh, Sarah Blakely is just a person like me. And I don't know, I think a lot of people feel hesitant to do that because they think, oh, my Instagram or my social media is supposed to be picture perfect. Brands are looking at this and, you know, I have to just be, I have to be the epitome of just like the ideal human. And 
I think that's really intimidating and a lot of people look at that and are just like, look, there's another reminder that I could never be that person. So I'm really curious to know what you think about, you know, content being personalized because I know in the, in the past you've said that that is where the future of content is heading is, is personalized content where people feel like they are being spoken to directly. And I don't know how you, how you imagine that looking like, or, you know, if you've seen any people or any kind of uh, platforms that are building or being built that are centered on that. Yeah. So it's so true. And I think that that humanization of social media is one of the best things that's happened in really the last few years, I think, especially as our awareness of our addiction Mm -hmm. and of the the elements of the attention economy have become much more top of mind for us. We've all started to say, man, I'm just going to be who I am because this is, this is like, we all know that we're in on it. I mean, it's funny because whenever I see people and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, but my life, it's not like it's on, it's not like it's like on Instagram or something. This idea that we all sort of have that code now that like we're, we're projecting our quote unquote best selves. And I think that that, I think we're going to move from that highlight reel of our lives to something much more authentic. I don't necessarily know that it's going to be on a platform where we have hundreds of followers or friends. It might be in a closer community, but I'm really seeing the rise of these micro communities, which are Facebook groups or meetups in person or podcasts where people are talking about a specific issue that they want to go in depth on and that they really want to think through. And, and I really believe we're, we're in a moment in time where people are starved for conversation conversation. They are so hungry for that in-depth nuance and ability to talk about things in longer than a tweet. And I think uh, there's such a need for that. And I'm seeing it now and I believe we'll see much more of it in the future. I really hope so because I, I, I think about the content that I consume and I'm like, oh yeah, that's like one person who manages that. And I listen because I feel like that person's talking to me or I read that caption and I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly how I'm feeling. How did she know? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I just, I think that for those of you who are listening right now, if you feel inclined to just create something that you don't really think, hey, anybody would like this or nobody really cares about this, believe it or not, there are people who care about that thing. There are people who are waiting or hoping and wishing that something like that existed, which is essentially how I created this podcast. It was just more like, uh, I want to just talk about things because I, I want somebody to listen and, and write to me because I want to talk about this. And then now there's other people who are listening and it's just like, that is exactly it. People are starved for conversation and they want to feel like they're being heard and they're represented and they don't want to just feel like this, like they're part of a part of a conglomerate audience that like is never really being spoken to. Yeah. Um, I'm just so, so inspired by you because... It, it's just really cool to get an in-person understanding of who we see online or, you know, behind a, a Twitter thread or behind on a Forbes, you know, like you've been on Forbes 30 under 30 twice. It's just like, that's actually a goal of mine that I put on my vision board a while ago. And it was just like, I put it up and I was like, eh, you know, this would be really cool, but I wouldn't, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I could ever be that. And then to actually meet somebody who has been there and is just cool and is a person it's just like it really starts to debunk this this narrative that I've created and I think a lot of us create when we see 
these pieces online and we just like cannot imagine ourselves as being anything like those people and it's just not true you know we we cannot continue to feel like we are so far removed you know and I think that you are a prime example of what happens when you just follow your dreams and you just follow whatever it is that you want to do and and people begin to admire that and I really hope that everybody listening can can envision themselves doing that for themselves as well and 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 not keeping themselves in this bubble of like self-doubt because it, it sucks and we can really keep ourselves there for longer than we need to if yeah. we don't start to you know seek out opportunities where we can feel like we're connecting to other people and one thing that I really hope that you know the audience listening starts to feel like hopefully by this point they do feel like this is like who they're listening to right now you and I like even if we never meet them we we're we can brother with friends like everything that we're doing they could do too if they don't have people like us in their lives that they can talk to that they can touch that they can actually meet just envision yourself with us in a room like we're we're virtually talking right now but it's just like imagine that you were here and that you know all of this inspiration was in your life and you could take all of this right now you know um or get in touch with us directly I mean I'm such a huge proponent of that like there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's email, there's all these ways. And, and I love that. I, I want to be talking to everyone I don't know. Uh, I think that's how we learn the most. And so I, I would say that, that that goes back to the, the theory on cold emails. Yeah. Okay, guess what? 49 people didn't DM you back on Instagram, but one person did. And it meant a lot to them and it meant a lot to you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a whole other thing where it's just like, no, I'm not going to send that message because they're so busy. Why would they ever respond to me? I only have 10 followers. I don't even have Instagram. Like, you know, people just tell themselves all these things and it's like the person you're messaging is still the person. Just send them the message. You never know. Ask yourself three words. Is it true? Is it true? That's like one of the biggest takeaways and that that can just be applied at any given time in life. Yeah. You're just walking down the street and you hear that little that little voice come in and it's just like, no, is it true? Yes or no? No? Okay. That, that's it. And don't get me wrong. Your first response is going to be, yes, that person hates me and I'm definitely going to be fired. But when you ask yourself again, you're like, okay, maybe not. Mm-hmm. You don't have the evidence. And, and I would say that the most important skill, the most important aspect of this is that you can't ever be in someone else's mind and yeah. no one can be in yours. If someone leaves you off an email thread, it's not because they decided they should absolutely leave you off and make you feel bad. Mm-hmm. And if you choose to interpret it that way, that's on you. And believe me, easier said than done. <laughs> I, I have these moments all day where I'm like, oh, no, like that person didn't smile during this. Like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And then you just have to stop yourself and you have to say – is it true? Is it true that this person not smiling? And when you say it again, you, you realize just how absurd it is, right? Mm -hmm. This person not smiling back at me at this moment in the meeting, right? I mean, all of this, it must mean X. No, it must mean you have no idea. Yeah. How long have you been thinking like that? Six months, six months. Oh, wow. So I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, Oh, this has just been something. She's, she's just, she learned this early on and that's why she's been able to do everything because she's just like powers through everything fearlessly. No, 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 no. Uh, this was, this is very new for me. Um, 
just in, in really making sure that I'm savoring the moment. And I think that too many, uh, too many millennial women, Gen Z soon to enter the workforce. Some of them already are in, um, we've pushed, we've pushed ourselves so far to lean in that we've actually fallen over. And I think that it's really important about taking that moment and saying, I mean, it's interesting that you talk about force because why would that be meaningful to you? Like, I want to have a separate phone call in which we (laughs) dive into like, is that actually success? Like, what does it mean that someone said that to you? Like, what would success be about your passions? Would it be 5 million podcast downloads? Mm -hmm. That's probably be, that'd probably be way more meaningful to you than Mm -hmm. somebody putting you on a list. And yet we, we hold ourselves to these standards because that's what some people say success is. So I really want to encourage anyone who's listening and Kat will do this together, uh, (laughs) to just stop and say, but what, what is actually meaning and fulfillment and purpose to me? Because that is always going to be something that you can define more concretely than what is success, which is a moving target that yeah. changes its definition every day. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. Because it's like, well, then you achieve that thing that you said you wanted to achieve. And then now the, the goalposts moved. And then it's like you're always chasing this thing. And it's there has to be something that's way more grounding. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out, figure that out as I go because everything over the past year has more so felt like, oh, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that. And then these things end up feeling, they feel good. They feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But then it, then that other voice comes in that's like, well, by now you should have done this and look at this person. They already got this done. And it's just, then it starts to take away the charm, you know, and it doesn't feel as good. So lately I've been trying to reframe it as like, why isn't this feeling as good as it used to? And it's, it's mostly because I'm, it's becoming cloudy and I'm starting to impose things on it that should never be there. Run your own race. Run your own race. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm taking that in. (laughs) You're like schooling me right now. And I mean, like probably everybody else is getting schooled at the same time, but it's like, I feel it just as much as everybody else is feeling it right now because yeah, most of us are like, just, we don't know what the hell we're doing. I, I am not schooling anyone. I am providing a different perspective and it is what people provide me all the time. I'm not saying, I mean, trust me, I'm sitting there going, Oh, I should have had that too. This is humanity. This is who we are as people, but surround yourself with people who can give you a different perspective. Even if it's just as simple as remembering something you heard or a quote card you saw on Instagram, choose a new perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm so huge on that. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, before we started recording, we were talking about how like you recently read a a statistic that says like only 14%, was it 14% of the, of the U S population on both sides, uh, is, so it's, it's 8% and 6%. So total 14% of the U S population represents the extreme right wing or the extreme left wing and everybody else in the middle is considered the exhausted majority. There we go. That's the stat. And that is mind blowing. That is just like, look at that. That's crazy. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, uh, and now I lost my train of thought because that's just like, it's just like every time I hear it, I'm like, Oh my God, if only people knew like, our society would be so different right now because everybody's just so crazy and everybody feels so cynical and it's just like, oh my God, if only we knew that the majority of us 
are just right in the middle trying to figure out what our next move is going to be because we don't know what the hell's going on. Exactly. Uh, well, I want to jump into some rapid fire questions if you wouldn't mind. All right. All right. I'm ready. These are going to be fun. So, what is your favorite time of the day, morning, noon, or night? Morning. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Next one is what's your favorite snack? Pretzels and cookies. Pretzels and cookies? What kind of cookies? Chocolate chip, but I've really been on an oatmeal raisin kick recently. Ooh. Have you tried yeah. that chocolate chip, the salted chocolate chip cookie at the wing? It's divine. It's everything. It's too good. It's way too good. Um, what's your favorite podcast? Ooh, good question. Um, I'm a big fan of Recode Decode. I love Kara Swisher, um, and I feel like she is just someone who is such an interesting interviewer. Uh, even if she brings in someone from a company that I've never heard of or a company that I am not sure I will be interested in, Mm -hmm. I just find her to be so entertaining and smart and she challenges people and she challenges me as a listener to really think differently. Hmm. It's good to know. I got to listen. Uh, what's the one app that you cannot live without? Oh, right now I would say my MTA. <laughs> uh, it's 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 a recent uh, a recent discovery, and uh, the MTA has been promoting it. For anyone not in New York, that is our transit system, <laughs> and it tells you whether there uh, is good service on a particular line, and that it also tells you what time the train is coming to the particular station that you are looking for. So I can know that the one is coming to Twenty Third Street at twelve fifty one p.m. and time my life accordingly. And I just feel that it has really provided a real value to me. And people actually show that the the apps people are happiest with and enjoy the most on on their phones are ones that provide a utility. Mm -hmm. The ones where they get a value, Google Calendar, Lyft, things where you get something out of it and it helps you do you better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Although, you know, I just recently downloaded it because when I first moved to New York, somebody was like, don't use it. They're never on time. So then I just never downloaded it. And the other day I was waiting at the bus and I was like, you know what? I'm leaving. I've been here for 10 minutes. And the guy next to me was like, it's coming in one minute. Don't leave. And I was like, how do you know that for sure? He was like, my MTA. And then it came in a minute. I was like, okay, I'm just going to download it. It seems like they got their act together. So let me just give it a shot. They did. They did a brand new redesign and I am team app. (laughs) Good to know. Um, if you had a million dollars right now, what's the first thing that you would do? Oh, wow. Um, it's such a good question because I, I would donate it. Yeah. And yet there are so many causes I believe in. And I think that one of the, you know, is it around women? Is it around journalism and the future of media? Is it around equality? Is it around, uh, I just, it's so hard to pick. I, I mean, I might have to divide it into sections, but I also think that one of the things we're starting to hear from organizations that I love is really what will move the needle for them? Uh, in Los Angeles on October 19th, there's going to be an event called, or uh, today actually, October 18th, there was an event called the the Good Fronts. And it's this idea of social good 
an upfront for social good. So each year the TV networks have their upfronts and they present what's on their slate for the next year and talk to advertisers about why they should spend money. And, and this year a guy named Ross Martin, who's the founder of a company called Blackbird, uh, was one of the co-founders of this good front. And it brought together, uh, nonprofits to stand up and say what they actually need. Because so often what you hear from people is like, it's not the money. It's actually the time. It's volunteering. It's all of these different ways. It's, uh, signing people voting, you know, voter registration, signing people up at their door, going door to door, making phone calls. And I think that oftentimes we think that throwing money at the problem is the solution. And therefore, if I don't have money, I can't help. And I think that, you know, this midterm election is something that has proven the opposite. People are activating and mobilizing in ways that is really unprecedented. And I think that's going to be continued in the future. I hope so. I really do. Because once people realize that they actually can use their time to impact their society and the world around them, it'll be a game changer. It already is. I mean, we've seen that. Um, so that's, that's such an important point to make. Um, if there was one message that you could get out to the world right now, what would it be? You are your own best advocate. And I am so, I stress that so much because so often we expect to be chosen or picked or recognized or, or something. And I just feel so strongly that for introverts and for extroverts, you need to be doing internal PR for yourself, whether that's with your boss, whether that's with colleagues, you need to be actively messaging what it is that you do. Because I mean, I, I always laugh about how, uh, we, we always used to get, I, I would get so nervous to ask a, a boss when I was younger, can I, you know, I have to leave at 314 because I have to take the 322 subway to the dentist because I have to get my retainer fixed and then I'll be right back and don't worry, I'll be on email the entire time. And guess what? My boss never once noticed I was gone. They didn't need the detail. They didn't care where I was. I was an adult. The law of two feet says that I can walk out, do my thing and come back in. And I think about this because we expect people to be mind readers. We expect that somebody will say, we think she must want the promotion or we think that she would be a good fit. Oftentimes you got to get in there and say, I would be a good fit for this, or I would love to join this meeting. And I think that uh, really thinking about never assume that people can read your mind, obviously, because they can't. I am say, I always say, discover your voice, develop your voice, and use it for what you care about. That's that's the best thing that that's the best thing that we could leave off with. Be your own advocate, and yeah, you know, checking in with yourself and being like, what do I want right now? Is it this? Yeah. Is it that? And speak up for yourself. Although I have to say, I think especially for women, it's really hard to do that. You know, we we don't really feel like we are owed this or that we can ask for this. So I have to follow up with that. Is there anything that you have done along the way to change that? Or have you ever even felt like that where you're just like, oh, I, I can't ask for that and then ended up asking? Absolutely. So I would say it is way easier said than done. And I think it's certainly not. It's also it's about the way you do it. It's not I did this awesome thing because so often at work 
you did nothing alone. It's always about your team. And you probably think, what did I do today? I sent some emails. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would say that it's about having your colleagues backs in that same way. So saying to someone, Oh, did you see that Kat did this awesome project? You're, you're highlighting someone else. And at the same time, you are, you are, initiating the the idea that you are collaborative that you want other people to succeed you're not just in it for yourself and I think that that goes a long way too so I would say I think there's a certain level of comfort with getting with familiarizing yourself with what does the boss care about that you are actively doing every day every week every month updating them on that because it's true they don't need the the full-on uh report of minute to minute your subway ride to the dentist. Yeah. Um, but show them your value and I think highlight other people's values. Yep. That's great. This has been an amazing conversation and I am so excited to meet you in person. Likewise. And maybe have a cookie or something with you. Definitely. <laughs> um, again, thank you so much for taking time out out of your busy schedule. Of course. To be on the show. I'm sure everybody will get so much out of this. And um, where can everybody find you online? CSCH is the name of my company, but on all social media, I'm C Schweitz. So C S C H W E I T Z. And usually, if you just search Cal, C A L, I'll pop up. So hopefully, you can find me. And I really do want to hear from people. Uh, I would love to talk and hear what you're going through amazing so there you go the floodlines are open so you could just <laughs> pour over all those questions and all those concerns and all of the things you've been thinking somebody's gonna listen <laughs> thank you so much thank you okay wasn't that great isn't Callie amazing can't you just sense how great her energy is like i cannot wait to meet her in real life because I could just tell that she's one of those people that makes you feel better when you're around her. And yeah, I would just love to keep the conversation going. And I know that you absolutely can by just reaching out to her, following her on social media, and keeping up with all of the amazing things that she's doing. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. I'm sending you all lots of love, light, and good vibes. We will chat next week.